0: to see all of you this morning. You said happy 2020, brand new year. Excited for this year. Excited for what uh, he has in store for this little church in Balmoral last night too. Just a great uh, time with our Saturday night uh, group. And uh, it's uh, we're just grateful. Grateful to be able to be a part of, uh, of a group of people that wants to live out what they believe, not just not just bear the name Christian, but to actually live that out. And uh, so for those who were part of our experiment, if you weren't here last week, we had this experiment to just simply go out and light up our world in real practical ways and to text one another. What a great, I think there was 35 of us who were texting uh, this week back and forth of just different things that people had done to, to go make a difference. And for some, it was like this thing of thinking, oh, I should really do that. And then there's that hesitation moment of like, oh what do I do? What do I do? What are they going to think? And, and I loved how the stories were. So many people pushed through that hesitation that it just lit them up on the inside. There was such a joy that came in their lives as a result of that. So grateful, uh, grateful for that this morning. Uh, today, I want to just jump back into a series we started in November. So if you weren't here in November, uh, you missed four parts of it, but that's okay. They kind of, they, they stand alone and they tie in with each other. Uh, we were talking about the armor of God and, and we had four different uh, Four different things. You can find them online uh, on our website if you'd like to, to check that out. And I encourage you to because it's, it, with the reason it's a series is because there's, there's no way to take every one of those things um, and put them all together in one, in one morning session. But they're all so, so important for our lives, and we're look at that this morning. So uh, just a quick recap of the reason we're studying this. There's a man named Paul. Uh, 2,000 years ago, he was somebody who hated Christianity after Jesus had you know, uh, died and rose from the dead. And then there's people going everywhere saying, God did something for the world. And, and many people put their trust in him. There's, Paul was totally against it. It, went, it was going to, in his mind, would, would undo his religious beliefs. And he hated, hated Christians so much that he went around uh, wherever he could find them, tormenting, torturing them, and finally killing them. And he would travel to different towns to find them so he could bring them, put them in jail or or kill them. Hated everything to do with Jesus until he had an encounter with Jesus. And then realized, whoa, what what am I doing? This is, I was fighting against what I thought was religion, but this is a person. And Jesus completely changed his life. And I don't know about you, but how many of you were on a way to something, to somewhere and and had an encounter with Jesus? And now it's like, well, now everything's different. I hope so, because that's what Christianity is. That's what it is, is when you meet Jesus and he changes your life. And then Paul decided from that point on, I can't, I can't go against this anymore. I'm, I'm for this to, the, to as far as I can. And so he went around the Roman Empire. He started, he shared this good news with people everywhere. He uh, started all these gatherings of Jesus followers in all these different uh, cities. And then 30 years later, AD 62, we catch up with Paul and he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome. You might not know what a prison cell, there was no three square meals a day in Xbox whenever you wanted it. You sat in a place like this to rot. And here's where we find Paul. Paul's here, he's wrongfully accused of crimes. He's here simply because he's now a Jesus follower. And they've, they've put him here and he's waiting for his trial. And I don't know about you, but if, if this morning somebody came and arrested you and said, Yeah, <laughs> Wrong place, wrong time. You know, Henry, you shouldn't have been at Kingsway this morning. You're under arrest for being at church. Bob, you're under arrest for being at church. And they toss you in the slammer or say, hey, we're just going to wait, I don't know, maybe two years to your trial and we'll see what happens. <laughs> what would you feel like? Oh, thanks a lot, God. Here, you know, here I'm trying to, do, trying to be a good person, trying to follow, you know, Christianity. I'm trying to do what you want me to do and here's where I end up. Man, here's Paul, and what is Paul's response? It's, it's incredible. Paul's actually sitting there, and he begins to write letters to people. He's like, man, I, just gotta, I can't get out of this jail. I can't go and talk to those people in, in those towns. Let me just send letters. So he's like, somebody bring me a scroll and a, and a pen or whatever they used back then, a feather with some ink. Let me, let me write this stuff down and send this out. And his buddies would come visit him, and he would send these letters out to different places to people he met and some that he hadn't met yet, and he was hoping to meet. He's so like, I'm going to get out of here someday, I don't want to meet people. And one of those letters is what we're looking at today. A letter he wrote to a group of Jesus followers in a town called Ephesus. Not really a town. Ephesus, here's the ruins of Ephesus today. But real place, massive city, it's modern-day Turkey. Some of you have been there. Uh, some of them pointing here, yeah, I've been there, yeah. The, um, there's about 250,000 people in Ephesus at this point. Uh, second largest city in the Roman Empire, and everyone wanted it. Uh, the Romans currently, uh, at that point, they were the ones who ruled it. But people wanted this city because it was wealthy and it was, it was in a great location. It was always under attack from different places. It was a trophy city. And as Paul's thinking about these people, these Jesus followers in this, t- in this city, he's like, man, there's no shortage of distractions for them. There's no shortage of hostile religions that, uh, in, in that place. There's no shortage of hostile persecution for them. And I thought, it's very similar today. There's no shortage of distractions They're around the room, they're in the cafe, they're going through your mind right now. There's no shortage of distractions. There's no shortage of distractions in our culture. There's all kinds of things that are always vying for our attention. And so Paul's writing to them, and he writes these words. He writes a letter of what it's like to be a Jesus follower for whoever may read it. And then he finishes his letter with these words. He says this in Ephesians 6.10. You can follow along in your Bible or on your Bible app or whatever, but um, Ephesians 6.10, he says this, A final word We learned in some of our previous things, he just basically saying from now on, from now on till whenever, he says, I want you, I want you to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Two parts there. He says, you got to be strong. God's not going to do this all for you. It's not like, hey, I'm a Christian, so it's good. He's he's, going to do it all. He says, you actually have to be strong, Jesus follower, but not in your own strength. You've got to be strong, relying on his mighty power. And then it's like, put on intentionally. Intentionally put on like you put on clothes. This morning, you all put on clothes. And we're grateful for it. He says, it's the same idea. Intentionally put on clothes. Put on this kind of clothes uh, in, your, in your life. He says, put on God's armor. So you'll be able to, what are those words? Stand firm. They're not awake yet. He says, put, put on the armor so you'll be able to what? Because I'm, just, just so you know, I'm not here because this is my job. And I'm not here because, you know, I needed something to do on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'm here this morning simply because what God has to say to you is so, so important. So I'd encourage you to don't miss that point. Stand firm is not just, oh, it's a Bible story. This matters for my life. This matters for your life this morning. He says that you would stand firm. He's like, put on God's armor so you stand firm because that's the point. Why? He says stand firm against all the strategies of the devil because there's a devil out there. There's an enemy for your soul. And he says, I want you to stand firm against those strategies. He says, we're not fighting flesh and blood enemies. He says, we're in a wrestling match. It's not against flesh and blood. Just remember the flesh and blood part for a minute. He says, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Can you picture Paul sitting on that dirty prison floor? Maybe he looks like this, old. Maybe he's just sitting there, and and possibly, you know, he's got a Roman guard standing nearby. And I wonder if he sits there and he looks at that guard and's like, ah, that's the guy that's keeping me here. But man, what a great picture. What a great picture of what I want people to, to, to see and think about. Maybe he looks at the guard's armor and the guard's sword and shield, and he's like, you know what? I want people to clothe themselves, realizing they're in a battle. I want them to, I want them to think about, you know, as how they clothe themselves with, with armor as well, but for a different battle. And maybe for some, that's what they think was an inspiration to Paul. Others think because of his Jewish background, he was actually inspired by the Jewish high priest who also had uh, spiritual armor, a breastplate, shoes, um, the belt of truth, different things. And either way, we're not sure which of those two, maybe it was both that inspired him, but we're sure of one thing. We're sure that Paul is telling everyone, you're in a battle every single day. You are in a battle every single day. Did you realize that? Whether you like it or not, you're in one right now. You know, <laughs> how many of you woke up and it didn't take too long before negative thoughts were already in your mind? Oh, I'm late. Oh, I slept in. Oh, we're out of Cheerios. Oh, that's it. Whatever, whatever it might be, things slip into our minds so, so quickly. And, and Paul's wanting us to realize as believers, you're in a battle every single day. It's not that idea of, oh, I said a prayer, now I'm a Christian. And everything is awesome. Everything is cool because I'm part of the team. Everything's not awesome. Everything is not awesome is what Paul is trying to let every single Jesus follower know. Just because you became a believer in Jesus, it did not just magically get better. He says, you just, your eyes open to the fact that you're in a battle that now you can win. Ephesians 6.13, he says, so because of that, therefore, in light of that, put on every piece of God's armor because you're in a battle. She says, so you'll be able to uh, resist, that you'll be able to resist. That's the big word. You'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you'll be what? Standing firm. There it is again. Here's the whole point of his thing. I want you to be standing firm. My wife hates it, but I I love to watch reruns of Wipeout with my kids. Uh, I don't know if that show is just like, To me, I I don't know why I find that hilarious, but that people would subject themselves to this type of punishment is just hilarious to me. But anybody watch Wipeout know what this little apparatus is called? Yeah. Yes, this is, thank you, my fellow fans, the sweeper arm. Basically, they line 12 people up on these little podiums, and the sweeper arm goes around, and you can do whatever you want to jump over, crawl over, straddle it, whatever you want to do to try and make sure that that thing doesn't knock you off. And if you're the last man standing after all t- other 11 get knocked off, you win uh, either next round or you win money. Whoever's left standing wins. That's the point of this the event. But the same thing is true for us as, as Jesus followers. The, the, Paul's saying whoever's left standing at the end, they're the ones who win. And it's not just that one person is. It's like whoever is left standing. The idea is that you would remain standing because that sweeper arm of life, the sweeper arm of circumstance, the sweeper arm is coming for us. Will you stand? And he says the idea is that you resist your enemy. He, says, he doesn't say that you would conquer your enemy. Why? Because that cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus already conquered everything for you. So many people are in this thought of like, well, Christianity is trying to be a better person, try and get my behavior together. He's like, stop trying that kind of stuff. Stop trying to climb up onto that thing. He says, I put you there. There's no way you could have crawled out of that water and got up there on your own. He says, I put you there and I just want you to stand there. Whatever comes your way, I want you to stand knowing you are free. The victory has already been paid. All of those things are already done. Just stand there. And so Paul begins to describe saying, Listen, you're standing, but here's what it's going to take to stay standing. Ephesians six fourteen, he says, stand your ground. Why? Because that's the point. He says, once you become a Jesus follower, he's says, like, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Why truth? We talked about that a while ago. You're gonna, he, he says, you're gonna need these things because this is the this is the attacks the enemy's bringing your way. You need truth because your enemy's a clever little liar. He's dropping lies in your mind all the time. Whether it's on billboards, the radio, through your country music songs you listen to, that stuff's full of, whatever it is, he says, there's, there's lies being dropped in your mind all the time, any chance he gets. And so, so we like, eh, okay, whatever, but do you know how it works? <laughs> he says, you're not fighting flesh and blood enemies. And I see that all the time. So many people, they think they're fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but what Paul's simply saying here is, let me tell you something. The truth is you're not fighting flesh and blood. enemies. You're not fighting against people regardless of what you think. Oh, my ex-husband, you have no idea. Oh, you know, my, my mother-in-law, you have no idea. My kids, my, my, my parents. Can I tell you how the enemy works? He says, because you're never fighting flesh and blood, ever. This is how it works. You know, your wife's spouse says something and then... All of a sudden, somewhere in between, something changes and you hear something else. In your mind, you're like, oh, what she said, this is, this is what she meant. It doesn't matter what the words were. It's like, all of a sudden, the lie triggers in there. Do you think the enemy doesn't want to mess with your marriage? Do you think he's like, oh, it's okay. They're happily married. Let's leave them alone. You take every opportunity, every opportunity to, to mess with, with, um, with the, the good relationships in your life. You know, or your... <laughs> The husband does something and all of a sudden the wife's like, oh, he did that on purpose. I know it was on purpose. Well, you don't know that. But that lie drops in there and now what was just one minor event has now become, we're digging in, we're digging our trenches, we're going to fight this one out. What's happening? He's winning. Oh, that guy drove his brand new truck and parked beside my vehicle again this Sunday. He just wants to rub it in how rich he is. It's just that easy. It's just that easy. And it's like, you know what? It's not not what's happening. It's what he's doing is winning. And all of a sudden, those little thoughts turn into offenses and they turn into bitterness and they turn into this this anger and and unforgiveness. And sometimes it's envy, but those things all of a sudden, they, they get lodged in your mind. You know what it's like? It's like running through Haldeman clay after a rainstorm. It's like, it just starts sucking on you. And it's like, it's stuck to you. You're like, you can't move. I have this with my kids. They go and play out in the mud. And all of a sudden, I drive home one day and there's a boot on the driveway because I can't carry it anymore. The little further, there's a shirt. And like, what What kind of mud were they into? But you can't run in that, in that condition. And the enemy's just so happy with that. He's like, if I can get them stuck with a whole bunch of stuff on them, they're not gonna run their race. I don't need to worry about them. They're, they're, they're destroying themselves and so many people are losing in relationships because they're losing the battle of the mind. You think the relationship thing is you and what they've done and what they've done to you and everything else, and it's not. It's that you're losing the battle of the mind. I had one person this week, not in my notes, but sharing a story with us that they had been at, at odds with a member of their family, and it was bad. And they just simply said, I don't know. The old me, they said, before I followed Jesus, would have just been like, oh, I'll just make them pay. I'll, we'll ice them out and we'll make them feel the same hurt that they, that they made me feel. And then she said, you know, I started praying instead, praying for, for them. And I realized, you know what, I'm going to invite them over over Christmas. And it was just amazing at how God began to restore something in that situation. Why? Because you did something. You shook off shook off the mud. You know, Jesus told us to love one another, love our enemies, the ones we think are enemies. He said, you've got to love them. He says, the flesh and blood enemies, you've got to love them. But you, this real enemy, that's the one you've got to stand against. And he says, you're going to need truth. You're going to need righteousness. What's righteousness? Remember that you're righteous. How many of you, you know, are, you're 100% righteous this morning? A yes. few of you are getting that. That's good. Some of you are like thinking back on, oh, what did I do this morning? What did I say? What did I think on the way here? I'm not quite sure if I'm 100% righteous. Because what do we, we default to our behavior all the time? And, and Jesus simply said, listen, you're righteous. You're 100% right with God. You're 100% pure and clean on, in, your, in your inner man because of what he did on the cross. I'm not right with God because of anything I've done. I'm not writer with God because I'm sitting in a church this morning. None of that makes me writer with God. He, he's, he's the one. How do I know? Because he said, he became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. How righteous are you this morning? Anybody else 100% righteous all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. Love it. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, it's time to trade in those muddy boots for some new shoes. And the ladies are all like, ooh, new shoes. I'm in. New pair of kicks. You know, the the next part, Paul says, so for shoes, Ephesians 6.15, for shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. This is a tricky one for people to translate when they, when they translate from Greek to English because of the wording and because some of these words are only used once in the New Testament. And if you read different versions, you'll, you'll read this in a number of different ways. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, putting on shoes that come from the good news to so be fully prepared. There's a bunch of different things. But in the context of what Paul's describing, the one that makes the most sense is that he's talking about having something that, that is a strong foundation that you're standing on uh, this week as I was uh, noticed something fairly interesting, found these houses uh, online, uh, dream homes, ocean view properties. Uh, they got ocean frontage in BC. Uh, how many of you, if you had the chance, you'd love to like say, hey, you know what, I'd love to be able to go and live there. I'd love to own that. Whether I live there all the time, it'd be sweet for me to own some ocean front property in BC that I could just go and visit. Multi-million dollar homes. Anybody else would like, like to own one of those? It's, it, some, last night, they're like, no, it's too close to the ocean. No, it's... It's too close to Alberta, you know, like. I think if every one of us was like, man, yeah, I would love to just be able to get away and go there some sometime. Did you realize that uh, this morning that every single one of you can actually afford one of those? To be honest, most of you could probably afford to buy the whole, vill- buy the whole street. Because each one of these homes right now is currently valued at $2. <laughs> That's a great question. Why? Two bucks. $2. Seashell B.C. Simply because of this, they found sinkholes underneath some of these homes. And now it's like, (laughs) close the street. No one can live there anymore. But as they tell the stories of the families, they just simply said, you know, somebody walked up to our door and said, you need to move right now. You need to evacuate all of these homes. You can't live here anymore. They blocked off the road and said all access is closed. And you're just going to have to find somewhere else to live. Like, well, what about our investments? Yeah, well... Nobody's going to pay for that. Nobody's going to do anything. And so they're like, man, we worked our whole lives for this million-of-dollar investment, and now it's worth nothing. Could you imagine if somebody walked up to you and just said, hey, everything you've worked for, it's now worth nothing. Ugh, what an awful feeling. What an awful feeling. Because some of you, you've worked so hard for so much to now just, boom, nothing. Why do I want that to sink in a little bit this morning? Because those are just houses, when Jesus talked to people, he said, what if, what would happen to you if at the end of your life you realized I built my life on something and now it was worth nothing? What if I built my whole life on something and in the end it was worth nothing? And that's the question this morning. What are we building our lives on, really? We sing a song, I'll build my life, but what are we building our lives on, really? And I think perhaps maybe as Paul was sitting in his cell looking out at that Roman soldier and he sees, you know, doesn't know if he's sleeping or what, but there's his feet. He sees those sandals, those Roman centurion sandals. He notices those those type of sandals that have all these little knobs on the bottom just to keep that grip. If he's simply thinking about that, writing to them, saying, you know what? <laughs> you gotta put on shoes that are designed to stand firm. That you're gonna stand firm on the foundation of the gospel. The other night we were at a, a party um, uh, for New Year's Eve, and it was like 12.30, and we're all in the van waiting for Beth, and she comes out of the house, and all of a sudden, she wasn't wearing anything winter uh, shoe-wise, and all of a sudden, starts sliding down the person's driveway. She's like, just just trying to stay stay up, and she makes it. She, make, Thank goodness, you can Google lots of people who didn't, uh, if you'd like. <laughs> I wanted to show that, but wipe out, and that's too much for one one day. But sliding, why? Because not, not firm, not able to stand on that on that foundation and, and here's what Paul's saying he says you know what I don't want people Jesus followers sliding all over the place he says and when you, these you're in a battle every day he says I want you to be standing firm on the gospel what's the gospel the gospel simply means good news or the good story that's what they called it it was like man Jesus died and rose from the dead for us that's such a good story what do we call it let's just call it the good story because it was so good. Luke said, you know, an angel came with those words, I've got great news, good news of great joy for all people. There's peace on earth, there's goodwill to men. And then Jesus, it says, he went about doing good and telling people the good news of the kingdom. And Paul, Paul wrote to believers and said, let me remind you what the good news is. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, but then he rose from the dead and people saw him. This is not just a story. God did something for the world. God did it. And that idea of saying, Paul saying, listen, I want you standing so firm on the fact of what God did for you that nothing shakes you, nothing pushes you off of that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, because because of God's grace to me, in verse 10, he says, I've laid the foundation, the foundation for Christian lives, like an expert builder. He says, others are building on it, but whoever's building on the foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, which is what? Jesus Christ. He says, this this person of Jesus is the foundation for Christianity. Not religion. It's not rituals. It's not rules that you follow. It's not coming to church. It's not behaviors. It's not your belief systems. It's this person, Jesus Christ. He says, that is such an important foundation. Don't let anyone deceive you that there's something else. He says, it's all about Jesus. Are you standing firm on him? Edward Mote wrote the famous hymn, on Christ the solid rock I, sit, I stand. All other ground is? You've heard it. On Christ the solid rock I stand. I love that Edward his. what about us? What about me? Is my life built on him alone? And We're not always sure about that. But Paul writes a reminder to the Ephesians. He's like, I want you to stand firm on that good news. To stand firm on the fact that it's about Jesus and what God has done for you and what God has done for the world. Why? Because the enemy's going to try and push you off that foundation every chance he gets. Every chance he gets. You know, when I was a kid, a little kid, my grandparents lived in St. Catharines, and they had this huge rock. We thought it was huge. It was about this tall. But we, as kids, were like, we'd play this game we call Own the Stone, and we would stand up on that stone. And whoever could get out there first and all the other, I was always the oldest, quickest, get there first. But my brother was chubbier, and he'd get up there and push me off. And we'd have this thing of Own the Stone, trying to make sure that we would be the last one standing when it was time to go home. And it's like that very same thing. The enemy will come into our lives, and either he's going to try and push you off that foundation. (laughs) Circumstance comes into your life. Well, God's not good. We'll push. You're in a tough spot. You're like, oh, man, God, have you left me? Push. Go to your university. Go to your schools and hear things. Oh, the Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales. You know, here's one verse we think, oh, this this doesn't make sense. So you just toss it all. Push. And if he can't push you off, he's going to do the opposite. He's just going to try and entice you off with temptation to say, you think it's all good up there? Look at how much fun I'm having down here. Why don't you come join me? And how often have we taken the step off that firm foundation? Paul's saying, listen, I want you to dig in. I want you to stay standing on Jesus Christ, the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus told his disciples this in his most famous message, Sermon on the Mount at the end of it. He said this, anyone who listens, anyone, there, today, he's saying this, this is for anyone. So it means you can choose it or not choose it. And that's for us this morning. Anyone who listens to my teaching, to the teachings of Jesus and follows it and, and actually does it. He says, they're like a wise person who builds a house on solid rock. And you're like, no, oh, I remember this from Sunday school. Don't miss the, the point. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, he says, they're foolish. They're like a person who built their house on sand and he's not talking about building houses. He's saying the person who built their life he says, they built their life on sand. And the next verse, when, not if, when the storms come, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. He says, if, if you're building your life on sand, someday the sinkhole comes for you. Someday, someday you'll find out that it wasn't enough. But he says, if you build on a rock, if you build on the truth of the rock of Jesus, you don't need to be worried about storms or sinkholes because at the end of the storm, guess who's left standing? <laughs> you. You. No matter what you go through, in the end, you're left standing. I have A friend of mine, I say we talk about him often. He's in a hospice. He's at the, the end of his physical life, we believe. Unless God heals him, we're praying for that. But he's just at the beginning of his spiritual journey. Came to put his faith in Christ just a few months ago. And I love watching him as he sits in that bed just waiting for whatever may be the end with a contentment. With just like this thing of... Huh, you know, I know where I'm going. When, when do I get to go? Man, what a different perspective of life. Why? Because not even death's going to take him off that rock. Man, how many of us, let's think so much smaller than that, push, pull us off the rock Paul's and and, the, and Jesus talking about it' like wisdom versus foolishness, we want to build our own lives. Ah, Jesus, I don't want to build it on what you see. I think I got it better. <laughs> I think you say forgiveness, I'm like, ugh, I'll forgive them when I'm good and ready. Building on sand. You know, there's so many things i oh God, I'll do it, I just want to do it my way. You know, I, I don't really care what your word says. I think I'll just do it, what feels good, what sounds good, what seems good to me, what I think worked for others. I'm just going to trust those things. I'll do what I want. And my question is, this is the question of Jesus this morning. He says, you know, okay, but if you live your life down that whole road, you did it your way. You did it the way you wanted. You did it all the ways you thought, you know, this is, this is the best. This is my plans. And in the end, you got everything you wanted. It actually worked out by a miraculous way, worked out for you. <laughs> what about the question that Jesus says, okay, in the end, what good was it if you gained the whole world, but you lost you in the process? What good is it at the end if you gained everything, but you lost you? There's no other foundation that's going to be left standing in the end. What are you trusting in? What are we trusting in? Are you trusting in your stuff to bring you happiness? We, we all tempted to do that sometimes. It's what makes Christmas Christmas in the in our world. It's like all the gifts, all the happiness under the tree. Can I tell you about your happiness for a minute? In a couple of years, it's going to be on Kijiji or in the dump. It's like yeah, yeah, it's true. It always, did. but more happiness this time. You know, money, all the money in the world, you can, buy, you can buy all the life insurance you want, but you can't even buy another second of life. So why are we working so hard for all of that? Substances can bring us peace of mind, get us away from stuff for a little while, but they don't solve the problem because when they're done, we're back in it. You know, good deeds or religion might make you feel good, but they don't make you good. They might make you feel good, but they don't make you good. And all those things are just building our lives on sand any other time that is outside of the person of Jesus. And it's what Paul tells the Ephesians. He's like, man, you want peace? He's like, build your life. Stand solid on the good news of who Jesus is, the gospel of peace. What is it? Peace with God. Peace with God means the fear of nothing. It's what peace really is. That You're not afraid of anything anymore. How many of you actually have peace? No worries about tomorrow. No fears about today. Huh, no fear of judgment from God. No fear of anything in this life. I'm content with my lot in life. Might not be a lot, but it's a life. Content. You know, the early believers, when we read about their stories, man, they lived this stuff out. Didn't matter how much pain. Didn't matter the persecution. Didn't matter if they were in prison. That's why Paul's like, man, I'm going to write some letters in prison. Why? Because I trust God, you got this. <laughs> Standing before wild animals, gladiators in the arena, giving their lives like, hey, recant. Just say, say you won't follow Jesus anymore, and we'll let you out of here. No, it's not worth it. He's got this. Whatever you do to me, it doesn't matter because he's got this. I'm not afraid. I've got peace with God. Man, they were building their lives on something, something solid, and we're challenged to do the same. Last verse is Philippians 4, verse 6. <laughs> Paul writes things like this to the, to the new believers, first century believers. Don't worry about anything. Anybody ever told you that? You're going through stuff and like, oh, doctor said this. i like, ah, don't worry about anything. It's going to be all right. Like, I'll go find someone else who's going to have some sympathy and care about me. Don't worry about anything. What's anything? Anything is whatever you worry about. Where your kids were last night. Why they aren't home yet. You know, what what the people in the room are thinking. Whatever it might be, what do you worry about? Oh, am I going to have enough money at the end of this month? What am I worrying about? He's like, don't worry about anything. Simply just talk to God about it. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And he says, guess what? You do that you're going to experience peace, real peace. God's kind of peace exceeds anything we understand. His peace, it guards your heart, it guards your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, Paul said it this way to the Romans, I'm convinced that nothing, what? Nothing. Nothing you throw at me is ever going to change the fact of my being convinced that God loves me. Sure, give me death, give me life. Angels, sure, whatever. not going to change the fact that God loves me principalities, powers, no fears for today, not my worries about tomorrow, not the powers of hell can separate us from his love. He, Paul was convinced, are we? No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us, not just now, but ever from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm convinced of that, he says. That's peace. That's why you can sit in a prison cell and go, hmm, prison, all right, God, you got this. I just trust you simply trust you, trust your goodness, trust your plan, trust your love for me. If I'm here, I live for you. If I die, pff, even better. How many of you live like that? How many of me live like that? I love the words of Stuart Townend in Christ Alone, his song, No Guilt in Life. That's peace. That's righteousness. We realize, man, it doesn't matter. There's never, there's never a need for guilt. Guilt is just drives you down into that spiral. No guilt in life, no fear in death. Man, that's peace. That's the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. I'll stand. So what about you and what about me this morning? Because this wasn't just about, well, oh, let's just sit here, do our thing, and go home. What are we going to do with what His word and His challenge is to us this morning? Do you actually have peace in life? You have no fears about today. You have no worries about tomorrow. You're not afraid of the judgment of God. Man, it's awesome because that's where we're supposed to be. That's the rock that He put us on. Or sometimes you slipping off that good news. What am I building my life on, really? What are we building our lives on every day? Because you're building your life right now, whether you realize it or not. Every day we're building our life based on the decisions we make. How are you building? How are you building? Is it built on him, on his word, on truth, a solid foundation? Or are you just building and hopefully, hopefully the sinkhole don't get you? I want to leave you with this challenge this morning. We have the possibility, the opportunity to intentionally build our lives. It's what he said we can do. Build your life. It's why Jesus said, he who listens to my teaching and does them, you're building your life on a rock. So we want to give you some opportunities to intentionally build your life, to help you. So if you're like, man, that's on my heart. Yes, that's what I want to do. I want to build my life in that right direction. I just don't know where to start. We have options. A, starting point. Why don't you join a group where some people are just going to help you and say, hey, you got questions about Jesus? You're not sure about all this stuff? Let's talk, let's talk about it. Never been in a small group before and like, ah, I've tried other small groups that didn't work for me. Why don't you try this one? Why don't you come join us and let's have some conversations about where to start when you put your trust in Jesus, because what it's all about. You know, the second one, why don't you get the YouVersion Bible app and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start putting his word in my life every single day. I'm going to put it in here so that it grows in my life. Man, you're like, well, I don't read good. Guess what? This thing reads to you. <laughs> oh, darn, my last excuse. Out the window. Because really, it's crazy. Like, in our day and age when we have so people used to give their lives for a scrap of scripture, a piece of paper that they could hide with them, protect just so they had a part of God's word, and we've got it just so easy. There's only one reason why we don't spend time in his word, and it's this, we don't want it. If we're honest with ourselves, that's what it is. We just don't want it. And the challenge this morning is you have the opportunity to intentionally build your life. Do you want to? Because you're building it. Do you want to? So grab the app. Maybe you'll join me. I'm doing the New Testament in a year. Reading a chapter, about a chapter a day. Just putting his word into my heart. I love this mornings. This mornings is Jesus in the desert. And Satan's attacking him. And what does he do? When, when the sweeper arm comes to get him, he's like, he's like turn the rocks into bread. And Jesus like, simply, God, his word says, you know, we don't live by bread alone. We live uh, from every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. I was like, man, that's exactly how he wants us to live. That when the sweeper arm comes, like, no, I got his word. It was right here all the time. Why? Because I put it there. Have you put it there? Third one, why don't you join a Bible study? Why don't you come join us? Maybe you're like, revelation seems a bit deep. Yes, I would agree. That's probably a bit deep to jump in. But why not the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, let's go that one. <laughs> 12 weeks, accountability, just join some other people. Just, just intentionally, I just want to build my life on his word and put it into your heart. Why do not you sign up for it? Here's the thought. There's a sweeper arm coming for all of us. Sweeper arm coming for all of us. Will you be the one left standing? Will you be the one left standing? Will you be the one that says, you know what, God? I trust your goodness when everything around me feels bad. I trust your sacrifice when I get it wrong. And Jesus, I trust your sacrifice when I think I'm getting it right. You know, I trust that I'm right with you because of what you say about me. I trust that you are more than enough when the world's temptations of greed try and draw me in a different direction. I trust that you're with me, even when I feel alone. I trust your good news, and I trust that I trust you with my life, both now and forever. Will you be the one left standing? Time will tell. What will you do today? What will you do today? What will I do today? To intentionally be in that spot to say, "I'm going to be the one left standing? choice is yours this morning. Will you armor up? Will you armor up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. That Even 2,000 years old, it doesn't get old, that it's living, it's powerful, reveals what's really going on in our hearts, and teaches us to do what's right and shows us the way to live. Thank you that it's powerful enough to keep us standing, that your good news is good, and it always will be. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I just pray for every person in this place, Lord, as we leave this place, maybe it's one sentence, one word that just is sticking in their, in their heart. Holy Spirit, I pray they hear your voice as they leave this place and are encouraged and challenged to live this life out with you, to live it on purpose, to build their lives on something strong. Father, I pray that as they do that, it'd be like a lighthouse in this world. The people in darkness will see, will see the hope that we have in you, the hope that they can have in you. Thank you for that. Lord, it's in your name that we uh, go this morning. Love you. Amen.